listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Again, good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Galatians chapter 3. That's the book we've been studying as a church, and so um, we are going to be in there this morning. So Galatians, and so um, if you're just joining us, you, you, what we want you to understand is kind of the context of this book. It, it isn't written to just one church, but it's written to a number of churches in this region of Galatia. And so they're receiving this letter, and the thing that they're all kind of struggling with is they think that they're made right with God by what they do. That if they do the right things, then God's going to love them. And so they thought that following the law, specifically circumcision, they thought if we do that, then then God's going to love us. And so what Paul has been writing to them for the first two chapters, if you're just joining us, he's saying, no, it's not about what you do. It's about what has been done through Jesus. Jesus is what makes us right with God. That is why he sent his son to die for us. And so if you're trying to add to that, you're really just taking away from the finished work of Jesus. And so he has been writing them. And, and so at the end of Galatians 2.20, which is what Todd taught last week, is that Paul says this, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer about doing the work of the flesh, but it's faith in the Son of God. So if you've been following to this point, somebody kind of cornered Todd last week and just asked a good question then. is like, so why even the works of the law, why did God even give us the law? This just seems confusing. See, we're supposed to follow these rules that are clear back in the Old Testament. Now we have Jesus. Like, what do we do with the law? Do we just throw it out? And that's, if you're asking that question, you're right in line with the Galatians because they ask it in our chapter today. In 319, they say, So what then do we do with the law? What's its purpose? And so is it useless? Do we toss it aside? See, the law, if you're taking notes, is kind of the point where we're going today. The law is great so long as it's used properly. It's really great so long as it's used properly, which means you have to understand its original intent and purpose. Kind of like a hammer, huh? Hammers are great. I got this out of our, like a little tool bag, right? This is like a nice, cute little hammer, right? Hammers are great so long as you use them properly, right? If you pounding nails in, maybe doing some like demo, you want a hammer, right? If, if you are putting a screw in, you ever try to do that? Hammers are fairly ineffective at that. They're ineffective as like tape measures. They're like, oh, what do I cut the board? It's two and a half hammers length. So like hammers are not good for measuring things. I would suspect they're not really great as makeup removers, right? Unless you use a lot of makeup and then maybe, but, but not, that's not what it was intended for, right? So a hammer is good so long as it is used properly, like the law. It is good so long as it is used properly properly. And so Paul is taking chapter 3 to say, this is how the law is to be used. This is what it's intended for. You have to understand that. Because if you don't understand it, you might be tempted to just throw it aside or use it improperly. And the law, we don't want to throw it aside and we don't want to use it wrong. And so we've got a whole chapter here 
to break this down. So we're going to get into it. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was viv vividly portrayed as crucified? So time out. <laughs> the language right there. You foolish Galatians. That's a term of endearment, right? Like he calls them fools. And he says, who has hypnotized you? Apparently that was a thing even back then as it is now with like after proms, anybody, right? Like you get the, the hypnotist comes in. You know what I'm talking about, you sinners, right? Like that was me. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And just side note, probably shouldn't, I wouldn't recommend any Christian surrendering their consciousness to another to direct you as they see fit for entertainment purposes. Not a good idea. But when you're a junior in high school, you might do that, hypothetically. Paul is saying, you go, who has taken over your mind? That's what happen, happens with hypnosis, right? Who has who taken over your mind? You let somebody just get in there, and now they're directing you around. And then, so there's a little bit of a snarky tone in there, and he's saying, some of you, you witnessed Jesus being crucified. Like, you perhaps were there and you saw that, and now all of a sudden, in the state of hypnosis, you become fools and have totally abandoned what your eyes themselves, like, witnessed and saw. He's trying to get their attention because they've fallen from something, and, and what it is is they've switched from faith in Jesus and what he's done to now works. He continues with the thought in verse 2. <laughs> I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you now going to be, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then God... Uh, does, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? These things are in conflict with each other. This Now you're trying to live out by the law instead of living by faith. Martin Luther and, and Todd kind of quoting last week talked about religion is the default mode of the human heart. We drift towards wanting to do the works in order to earn right favor with God. And so this default mode where they're kind of drifting back, they started in faith, they started in trust, and God had done an amazing thing. And what started it all, they're starting to deter from. And he brings that out in the text. <laughs> it's kind of like this mindset when that happens, it's like, Jesus, yeah, that was all you initially. See, I was dead in my sins. I, I didn't bring anything to my salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I, I was dead, and you made me alive, but I'll take it from here. Do you understand the ridiculousness of that? It's like, thank you, God, I got it from here. And I believe part of it is that our minds just can't fathom this free, unbelievable gift of God that we have in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And so we don't know how to respond. It reminds me of these, perhaps you've seen like the YouTube videos of um, people receiving these incredible gifts. 
kind of my favorite series are, are the ones where the parents like have the kids and somehow the kids come into money and like the kid will go back and pay off the parent's mortgage. Have you seen that one? Or, or perhaps like they'll buy the parent like a dream car. One of my favorite ones that I've seen recently is this young daughter goes to a Harley Davidson dealership with her dad and she bought him like his dream Harley Davidson like motorcycle. And what I say is like the dad can't fathom like this gift that is given to him by his daughter, he's like in disbelief. The managers are there. Like at one point, like they have to go get the registration that is like in his name. It's like, sir, this is your motorcycle. And then all of a sudden, like it clicks. And he, <laughs> I'm not trying to get emotional, but he just starts tearing up, you know, and, and just he just can't believe what has taken place. And there's a loss of words in this dad's mouth. He, he's saying thank you as he's just hugging his daughter. Let me tell you how those videos don't end, though. Can you imagine if the dad receiving such an incredible gift says, you know what, and just pulls out his wallet and just digs through it and, and comes up with like $8 and then digs in his pocket and finds 36 cents. He's like, here you go, daughter. Like, we did it. We, we got this motorcycle. Me and you, right? Can you imagine how just repulsive it would be to receive such an incredible gift, one that you didn't deserve, one that you couldn't pay for, and then you try and with your best, like the lint, you know, still sticking to the coins, you're like, there we go. Can you imagine if you were the gift giver? how incredibly infuriating that would perhaps be. It's like, it was a gift. It was free. I did it for you. This is this incredible act of love. And, and you trying to do something back robs from the grandeur of the gift. And that is what is happening when we drift towards this religious, when we say, Jesus, thanks for starting it. We kind of got it from here. That's what Paul's saying is, who is hypnotized you? What, why do you think that, that somehow God is going to have more favor with you because now you're trying to earn it in these ways? It's this, and this is what is being perpetuated amongst the churches. They're going so far as to say, no, that's not only what you should do, that's essential. If you want to be a child of God, you got to get, you got to work it. You got to do stuff. If you want to be a child of God, you got to get circumcised. You got to do these works. You got to uphold the law. And that's what it takes. This is the false claim. That's what it takes if you want to be a part of the family of God. And so Paul's going to continue in our text like, oh, really? That's what it takes to be one of Abraham's children, be a part of the family of God. And so he goes back to the oldest example in the book. He goes to Abraham himself and he begins to Reference in verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's how he received the promise. Abraham believed God, and this is a reference back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. Abraham believed God. Genesis 12, uh, verse 2, I think, says, And I will make you a great nation. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham. I will bless you 
and make your name so great and you'll be a blessing. And so from Abraham, this promise was given. But Abraham didn't do something other than simply believing God. That what God said, even though he didn't have any children, even though he didn't own the land, he believed what God said to be true. And so verse 6 is just a direct quote of Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Continuing on in 7, then understand, Paul's trying to make a connection here, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Let me read that again. Then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. You see the repeated word. How do we get into the family of God? It's through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Simply put, faith is a trust that God in his goodness will keep his promises. It's not some blind, uncalculated thing. It, it's trusting that when God speaks to a 75-year-old man that doesn't have any kids and says, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you this land, and you're going to be blessed. Faith is saying, I trust you at your word. You're God. You can do all things. It's by faith, trusting in God's goodness. God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. And so by faith, trusting that God is good, I, I don't know what Abraham, how he was, if God can raise the dead or, or what, but he draws back the knife, trusting that God in his goodness was going to work it out. Didn't make any logical sense, but he trusted God's goodness. Lo and behold, God said, no, stop, and provides a ram. Faith is trusting God, trusting his promises. And it's faith, do you understand from 7, 8, and 9, it's that faith, that trust, that put him in right standing with God. Not the works, but the trust in God that put Abraham in right standing. Romans 4, if you want to look this up later, but Romans 4, uh, cha uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, said, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what Scripture says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's this belief, it's this faith that justifies us and makes us right. And I want you to understand, married to a lawyer, so I get the legal terms floating around our house quite often. Justification. I want you to understand what he's saying, how we're made right. Think of, like, if you could imagine, like, a circle just filled with negative signs, I think of like my bank account before I met my wife, right? Like lots of negatives, okay? And then you get kind of a middle circle. Like justification is not simply just having those negatives wiped away, right? To get a blank slate. That's not what has actually been done for us. 
It's taking those negatives and actually making them positives, much like when I got married, right? It wasn't that my bank account just went to zero. Again, you heard me say, I married a lawyer, right? So it wasn't just zero. We go from negative to these positives. And so Jesus, his good works get credited to us. And so not only we go from this deficit, it's not clean slate, but we are made righteous, declared righteous, not just simply forgiven. That'd be mercy, but there's this grace that's poured out. And so we're declared right through faith in Jesus. Abraham trusted God. It's not when he followed the law that he was made right. It was when he believed. And here's the thing, is they're coming in to this region, to these churches, and say, well, if you want to be children of Abraham, so as to say, if you want to be God's children, you got to do what Abraham did. To which Paul's like, right. <laughs> it's faith. It's not works. Because Abraham was justified before he was ever circumcised. And the, the irony of this, too, is like, well, you gotta, you got to follow all the laws. The laws didn't come until Moses, Exodus. We're talking hundreds of years after Abraham himself. And so it's like, you got to be children of Abraham. you got to follow the laws. Abraham didn't even have the laws. Are you kidding me? But it got twisted. And that's what he's saying. It, it, you've got to do these things. And, and Paul takes them back. It's like, let's actually look at Abraham. God is not unclear of what it takes to be right with him. It's faith, it's trust, it's not works. So you're saying, children of Abraham, right, let's just look at Abraham. And we have to, when we look at Abraham, what we see even there, I think it was verse 7, about the Gentiles being made right. It started with Abraham, but God's desire, verse 8, it's not only Jews, but Gentiles being made right. God started with Abraham, but his desire is that all nations would come to know him and be justified, made right, through faith. God's purpose, clear back from the beginning, has always been to have one large, multi-ethnic family who relates to him on the basis of faith, not by works of the law. And so how does one get saved? It's through faith. In Jesus, man, you're going to see the Super Bowl later today. There'll be somebody with the John 3.16 sign. <laughs> and... How does that go? For God so loved the world that whoever follows the works of the law and does everything to the T, they're going to be made right? No. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 9.13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. The law does not save you. Trusting Jesus does. That make sense? This does not put screws in. This does not remove makeup very well, right? This has a function. The law has a function, but it's not to save you. Does that make sense? That's, that's religion. That is wrong. That is not what Scripture is teaching us. And he goes on to say, you want to understand that it can't save you. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law, is cursed. What is Romans 3, 23, forever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. And so, 
you're cursed if you are trying to be saved through the law. And he goes on in 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And he goes on in verse 17. And here's what we're referencing. And I say this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God and cancel the promise. For if inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. But God granted it to Abraham through the promise. It's through this faith. And so the law that he's referencing here, I believe includes not only the the, the the 600 plus commandments that we find as God is leading them out of Egypt. But Exodus 20, if you're doing your Bible reading plan that we've got going on, you got the 10 big ones in Exodus 20, the 10 big commands. He's saying the law is good, but, but it was never meant to save us. It was meant to be a guide. And so why did God give us the law in verse 19? That's the question. Why did he give it to us then? If it wasn't meant to save us, but do you understand that it's kind of like ridiculous? You're like, why even have a hammer if it can't measure things? Because it does other things, right? Like, why even have the law if it can't save you? It's like, well, calm down. Like, it does other stuff. It's, it's Let's read, okay? <laughs> like, there's functionality to this. We need to know how to use the law properly. Because the law is a great thing. And it's in the tool belt for a reason. Just need to know how to use it. Doesn't save you. But it does have a function. We're going to study this out. And this is what, church, I really would want us to understand. Moving from here is, is what is said in these verses. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the offspring, the offspring, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. The offspring there that he's referencing is, is Jesus. He is the offspring, and he, that was earlier in verse 16. Kind of flew by that one, but, but Jesus. And so this law was put into place to guide us until Jesus. And so verse 21, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then the righteous would indeed uh, be by the law. Righteousness would indeed be by the law. Here we go. But the scripture, verse 22, imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, second time this is said, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Two times you see the law, its function, imprisons us, and specifically under sin's power, verse 22, aka it leaves us condemned. And we have the law to thank for that. Now, it's not bad, but, but the function is to imprison us. Now, I might not, in my glory days, I was an athlete, right? I don't look like it now, father of four, but there was, there was a time where high school sports were a big thing, especially when you're in small town Iowa and you're graduating classes like 49, you do everything. And so football, I love that, but you know, spring comes around, it's like you need to do something. And so I ran track. I didn't run very fast, but I ran track. And the way that I could compete was by doing the high hurdles in 
jumping over things like I could do that and I, it, it made up for the slowness. And so my junior year, we were at the district track meet. I think somebody made an error somewhere because I made it to the finals, which was, I shouldn't have been there. But here I was at Dyke New Hartford on their all-weather track and I get down in the blocks and there's like this gusting wind at our back, which if you're a hurdler, like it, the thing about hurdles, it's, it's all a timing thing for the good people, not for me. I just run and jump. But, but nonetheless, like there's a hurdle thing. And so I was not like, there's these gazelles, you know, like they're three-step hurdlers, one, two, three, and they're just bounding over. I was more five, five six, seven-step guy. But, but this wind was blowing so hard, it was just like kind of like, carrying you know and I had enough mass you know where like it was just kind of moving me into where I was like a three-step hurdler and I you know so I'm running and so clear the first one clear the second, I think there's like 10 of them and I'm just rolling down the track and people are in front of me that's fine but I'm just trying to win some points for our team but the hurdles like I'm three-stepping and I'm like trying like bounding as far as I can but the hurdles keep getting further away like on my three steps you know what I'm talking about and I get to like the seventh or eighth hurdle and I'm like one two three and I I jump and I you know like from Jordan from like the free throw line you know and I go in I my lead leg makes it over my left leg but my trail leg just hooks the hurdle just completely grabs it it's so, like you're bounding over and the next thing you're like you know and just my front leg you got the spikes just stick in that all-weather track and just snaps back and you just hear this pop, you know and then you follow by a scream like a seventh grade girl like oh man and so I'm like laying on the track like just in pain and they're like what happened I'm like were you not watching me like I fell down apparently and so you know my coach like they usher you over to your lawn chair and and I'm looking at my knee and, and it's like it hurts really bad but when you look at it it doesn't look that bad right you're just looking at it you're like something feels funny but this is where like eventually like it swells up swelling goes down and uh, and they take you in and oftentimes with a knee injury or something like that they'll do what's like called an MRI it's different than an x-ray. That looks at bones. But an MRI can kind of just see the different tissues. And, and upon, like, looking inside my knee, they realized that the, the ACL, like the main ligament that keeps it from, is just exploded. Looks like somebody put, like, a little black cat in there and just lit it and poof. It's, like, in two pieces, shreds everywhere, right? Now, let me ask you this. Did the MRI, right? The MRI, it revealed that my ACL was exploded. Did the MRI cause my ACL to tear? Did the MRI do that? No. Did the MRI, will the MRI, what was revealed there, will it fix my ACL? No. So, what good's the MRI? I mean, Come on, right? It reveals my need for surgery. That's what the MRI does. Romans 3, 19 and 20, I have this on uh, this, a slide. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. 
and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be uh, justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is like the MRI. Can you imagine, though, if if 17-year-old kid just sitting up on the table, they didn't show you the MRI? And the, the surgeon just comes in with a mask and a scalpel is like, we got to cut you open. I'm like, no, and you don't. Like, apart from the MRI, reconstructive surgery, the treatment would have seemed cruel, unwelcomed, and unhelpful. Anthem Church, trying to tell people about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, apart from the law, can come across just as cruel, just as unwelcomed, and just as unhelpful. The law we see is given to silence the mouse. The whole world be held accountable like an MRI. It leaves us condemned. That's its function. It's not to fix it. It didn't actually cause the problem. It just reveals what is really going on there. That's why we have the law, these, these commands. So do we know how to properly use them when it comes to sharing the gospel? It is essential. And the law, he says again twice, it imprisons us. It silences us. So here's how this has looked in the past. I've had the opportunity to share Jesus with people. Again, you've you have to start back and help them understand their need for Jesus, and that's why we have the law. And so in an interaction with John, there's a number of these interactions, a lot of them go the same way, but I'll use my interaction with John. John, if you died tonight, where would you go? And John, like most people in America, I think I'd go to heaven. Why? Answer you get a lot, because I'm a pretty good person. Insert the law. The law is kind of like a pretty good person test. And so, John, hey, God's told us, you know, what he requires for someone to be good. So let's just look at the Ten Commandments. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Mm -hmm. John, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. What do you call people that tell lies? Liars. John, have you ever, you know had adultery. Well, I haven't done that. Well, Jesus said that even looking lustfully at a woman is like committing adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked lustfully? Yeah. John, have you ever been angry? Because Jesus said that's like murder. Have you dishonored your parents? Have you not kept the Sabbath holy? Have you made false gods? (laughs) Man. (laughs) John, by your own admission, you're a lying, stealing, Murderous adulterer, if you stood before a holy God, would you be innocent or guilty? The law shows us that we stand condemned. No one can stack up to that that test. Well, but other people, it's not about other people. God set it forth. This is what he commands. Would you be innocent or guilty? I remember the first time hearing that as a 16-year-old kid at summer camp. And I knew my heart. And if God is good, 
he would be right to bring judgment on me. And so that is the law. The law imprisons us under sin's power. It shows us that we have fallen short. And he goes on to say of the law in verse 24, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. The law is meant to guide us, to lead us to Jesus. That's why God's given it. Now that we are in Jesus, it doesn't mean it's like, so we get to go murder people. No, 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 like there's still, we should love God, love others, but, but the law is, is to, to guide us to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. It's, this is guardian. And now that if we're in Jesus, we're no longer under the guardian of law, but for those apart from Jesus, absolutely, the law is how they will be judged in using the law in those witnessing conversations as we interact with people. Man, in terms of doctors, that's just good bedside manners, right? If you, doctors, surgeons, show people the x-ray. <laughs> show people the MRI. Because apart from that, it's cruel, not helpful. So any good doctor, I mean, come on, you, they saw it, they know what the problem is, but they can't just come in and start cutting you open. I think you guys get to interact with people. That if you asked them, where do you think you would go? Heaven. Why? Pretty good person. They need you to show them the MRI. <laughs> that is a tool that we have. And I think we, we believe like, well, we don't, I mean, that's just, that's just hard. You know, I don't know if they will like that. It, guys, it's no, you can't think about, about it in a medical setting. Yeah, it's hard to have the diagnosis be that you have cancer. But what would you rather have? It seems more cruel that the doctor would not tell you you have cancer and just put you through chemo and radiation, right? You have to understand what's going on. And if we truly, genuinely love people, we didn't cause the sin. But providing the solution, which is Jesus Christ, his blood shed apart from helping them understand the reality, their true condition, is just not helpful. And so he's writing to them, saying, don't misuse it, don't try and be saved by this, but certainly, I believe Anthem Church, we can help others be saved, come to know Jesus through properly using the law. Does that make sense? So the law is good so long as it's used properly. Not as a way to try and earn salvation, get right with God, but it is meant to lead us to Jesus. And in doing so, my conversation with John, my conversation with people here in Columbia, what I've seen is John put his trust, transfer his trust, which was in himself, in his goodness, in his works, to realize that's a bad spot to have your trust and transfer the trust to Jesus Christ. That gift that is there, that's made available to us. And that's where it's transferring the trust from, from yourself, your works, ultimately to Jesus. Putting our faith in him. 
and anthem. This is why we choose to celebrate communion a lot around here. Because it's a reminder that God started this work. He's the one that convicted us, gave us the ability to even repent of our sin. And it's the recognition that he's going to continue it. That we need him. We can't work apart from him on this. It's partnering with the Lord to continue to live our lives in a way to honor him. And so we celebrate communion. And if this, I would just challenge those that have been with us, if this has become a work and it just kind of seems like it's lost a little bit of its, I don't know, it just seems like we're going through the motions. That's not the problem with communion. That's the problem with our hearts that drift towards religion. And so when we take communion today, I would want to beg you to remember the work that God started. And for me, I can go back to the skinny little tree I was sitting at in Michigan when God began a work in my heart and led me to my need for Jesus in that place where I put my trust in him. I would invite you to remember how it is that God got a hold of you. And then if, if, that, if, if you're like, I'm still under the good person thing and this was news to me, I would say, put your trust in Jesus. Scripture, what that says is that you would just confess, I have fallen short. I am in need of saving. Jesus, I trust you. I'm inviting you in. That's what the law is to lead us to, is to put our hope and trust in Jesus, God's son. And so would you take communion and do that? And would today be the day? of salvation for you. And then as you do that, remembering the work that God has started, for those that are walking with you, continue to remember how we need him today just like we needed him then. Right? The same is, is true, that apart from God, John 15, 5, we can do nothing. And so the law is helpful in leading people to Jesus the first time, and it keeps us coming back to Jesus recognizing that we still fall short. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna invite the band up, but we're gonna take communion together. And so what that looks like is there's communion stations, one in each corner, and you can just make your way as the band sings, and you can go to a communion table, and you can break off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and just take communion there. Again, remembering what it is that God has done for us. Then you can make your way back to your seats and just remain standing, and we will worship together. But again, I thank God. Thank God for hammers. <laughs> They're a great tool. And I thank God for the law. Because the law sets us up to really all the more appreciate the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's one of the primary functions of the law. And so I want to just pray and thank God for that this morning as we get ready to take communion. And so, Lord, thank you that you are a good healer that you are willing to show us the, the results before you go to work. And so thank you for the law that leaves us silence, that, that we don't pass the good person test. And so, Lord, thank you for your law and that, that function that really leads us to you. And so, God, even this morning, would you um, remind us of that? And for those that their 
hope and their trust, their faith is in their good personness, is in themselves this morning, Lord, would you move by your spirit that they would transfer their faith from themselves to you, that we would put our trust in you, Jesus, that we would acknowledge our sin, our brokenness, and then we would invite you in, knowing that your blood was shed, which represents the cup, your body was broken, which is the bread, for us, that we could be forgiven. So Lord, we celebrate that this morning through communion. We celebrate your blood shed, your body broken, to pay the price for sin. So God, thank you so much for your son. And we just respond in worship and with communion now as to move our hearts from religion back to relationship with you, keeping anchored in the first things first. And so God, would you move through this time as we respond?